You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back, Owen. Yes, it is. We're recording at 5am because we have a very, very special guest with us today. Brian Feroldi, how are you going, mate? It's doing great because it's not 5am where I am. So um, I'm nice and chipper. What time is it? Uh, it's three o'clock in the afternoon where I am. Oh, perfect. Perfect time to record a podcast, mate, and tell us all about your new book. Um, to kick things off, we were thinking, um, how did you start learning about investing and which resources did you use when you were approaching the stock market? Sure. Uh, so I graduated from college in 2004, and I graduated with a degree in business. Now, you might think that I was naturally taught a lot about investing in the stock market and money, uh, given that I was a business major. Nope. Uh, I graduated from college with zero, essentially next to zero education about money, about investing, about the stock market, about 401ks, about all the things that are incredibly important uh, information for people to learn how to build wealth over long periods of, of time. But when I graduated, um, my dad uh, handed me a copy of a book that was very popular at the time called Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. That book was like at the pinnacle of its uh, importance in society. And I read it cover to cover in like two days. Like hmm. the, uh, It was the first time that I had read a book that talked about some of the most basic concepts about wealth and wealth building and how the, how the rich think about money differently than everybody else. And while I have gripes with that book today, and I don't necessarily agree with everything that it talks about, it was the first time that I heard things like, Everybody is in business for themselves. Mm -hmm. The rich use their money to uh, buy assets. The poor use their money to buy uh, liabilities. 
Anybody can become wealthy in one generation. You can use uh, the tax code uh, to your advantage. And all of those concepts just completely blew my mind. Like they were the very first time that I'd heard about them uh, before. And for, for whatever reason, those concepts were just extremely appealing to, to me, like in my, my personality. So I just like latched onto them immediately. And that just kicked off a, a never ending binge of me really consuming financial content. So I've read tons of books. I've listened to podcasts. I've joined uh, newsletters. I've been on forums and like everything that's related to money, personal finance and investing, I have just soaked up and absorbed. Yeah. And I know that um, Rich Dad Poor Dad has been that sparking point for many people in our community. We have a similar book. Well, it's a bit different in Australia called The Barefoot Investor, which millions of people have read and really changed their life based off. And it's, it's amazing what one book can do for a mm-hmm. large population of people. Yeah. And given how long you've been investing for, much longer than Owen and I, I believe, from what I've seen online, uh, despite you don't look it, um, I wanted to ask you about some of those um, periods of investing through challenging times, such as the dot-com crash and the um, like the 08 market crash, because a lot of us and our listeners in our community haven't actually invested through any of those times. So it's cool to learn from experiences of people like yourself who've been through it. Yeah, so I started investing in 2004. That was when I had a, I had a job and was able to like put money uh, in the markets. I can tell you that I remember the dot com crash of 2000 and 2001, specifically 2001, because like everybody else in the world, I was glued to my TV on September 11th, 2001, and I saw all the everything that was going on with the terrorist attacks. And I vividly remember the next couple of days once the markets reopened out everything was just straight down. Like everything was just red. And I remember reading in the paper, again, I didn't pay much attention to the market, but I knew it was bad, right? I knew that it was just like horrible uh, what was happening. And at the time I had no clue what the Dow Jones industrial average was, what the New York Stock Exchange was, what the NASDAQ, I had no clue what any of those terms meant, but I did know it was bad when they were going down. And I remember thinking at the time, like, well, that's it. Like we capitalism had a good run, right? This whole stock thing. I think it worked out for a while, but it's over, right? Look how look how bad it's doing uh, now. And spoiler alert, it came back and it was uh, fully recovered essentially by the time I started investing in two thousand four. So, like I said, I was. Uh, very, uh, very into investing, very interested in learning. Uh, I had a bunch, I was starting to put capital into the market and really learn about investing from 2004 until 2008. And that's when the Great Recession hit uh, the United States. And I vividly remember uh, numerous times putting capital, a lot of capital into the market at that time. My income had gone up significantly. We didn't have any kids at the time. So our savings rate was very, uh, very high. And every time I put money in the market, it like immediately fell 20 percent right it was like oh i bought i bought again and it was like the next day boy was that a terrible decision <laughs> like it just felt it felt so awful to be doing this and putting money in that'd be like, great now i'm buying at lower prices and then it would immediately go down and great i'm buying at lower prices and immediately went down and this happened over and over and over again for a period of uh, of months but one thing i think i did right is that i knew that um i knew that over long periods of time the stock market went up i don't think i fully understood why that was but i did feel that i was buying at better and better and better um uh, prices and i had faith that it was going to come back eventually although boy was it scary um boy was it scary uh, at the time. Now, within a matter of like 
three years, I think the market had fully recovered and it's and it's just gone uh, straight up uh, ever since then. So the last 10 years have been extremely uh, profitable period to be an investor, especially in um, uh, the US market. So those purchases I made that felt awful, felt awful in 2008, 2009, and 2010 uh, really have done uh, wonders for my uh, portfolio. Uh, and returns. Uh, same thing. It felt the exact same way in February and March of 2020. Like the exact same, the exact same way. It was like you put money in and immediately you lose and it just goes down, down, down. Like so, so, so fast. It was such a fast period to to lose wealth, and it was even faster on the way up to like, nope, the market's going to go straight up from there. So dealing with volatility is is never is never easy. However, now that I've been through numerous downturns and upturns, uh, it. it it makes it easier to it makes it easier to do so, but it's still not easy. Brian, you've published the book. Why does the stock market go up? Um, and I often find that this is it's one of those things that we take on faith rather than on science sometimes. And I'm really interested to know, like you've written a book about this. So why does the stock market go up? Yeah, that was one of the biggest questions that I had about investing when I first uh, first started, and, and even still had multiple years into studying and learning uh, about investing. Like so many wonderful books that I read, all said the same things, right? They said just continually add uh, to the market. There's going to be period. There's guaranteed to be periods where the market goes down, but the market will always recover magically. Like there was never any explanation. It was just the market will always recover. Just take it on faith. That it'll eventually uh, go back up. And I was like, I don't understand why that's the case. But if you look back, it's always happened, right? So I think it can uh, continue to, to happen uh, uh, again. Uh, so, but oh, slowly over time, as I learned about stocks and stock investing and markets and the fundamental uh, drivers over a period of years, I kind of pieced together for myself the answer to the question, which was why? Why does the stock market go back up after it falls? F- understand why it's falling. Isn't that hard? Right, right, right now the markets are falling. There's war going on. There's inflation uh, going on. There's civil unrest. Lots of like interest rates are on the rise. Bad stuff happening. It makes sense mm. why the market goes down in those periods of times. It never made sense to me why the market would eventually um, go back up. But to get to the core of that question, um, I think you have to really, instead of focusing on the stock market, like the entire thing, it makes so much more sense to really focus on an individual company and really understand what's happening uh, there. So let's let's talk about like one of the easiest businesses um, ever to, to, to analyze and think about. And that's just like Starbucks. Starbucks is a very simple business, right? They open mm. up coffee shops, they sell coffee stock for a premium, and they make profit uh, from that. Uh, Starbucks stock is up over 30,000% since it came public in uh, 1992. 30,000%. $10,000 invested in Starbucks. You are literally a millionaire, uh, a millionaire uh, today. Why is that? Why is it that Starbucks is, stock is like up so much? Uh, the answer is that when Starbucks came public, there was only a few hundred of these stores like around the world, just a few hundred, primarily located in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. And Starbucks came public. It sold shares to the public because it wanted money so that it could build more stores. If you look at what's happened uh, between then and today, Starbucks now has tens of thousands of stores all around the world. And they continue to add hundreds or maybe even thousands of stores each year year to their vast empire. 
every time they open up a new store, the business, Starbucks, the business earns more revenue. And in addition to that, each Starbucks location that's existed for 20, 10, 20, 30 years, each of those businesses tends to get more profitable each and every year as it goes uh, by. So why is Starbucks, the business, so much bigger, so much more valuable today than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Answer, there's many, many more stores selling many, many more cups of coffee. The company has tens of billions of dollars in revenue and is producing billions of dollars in profits. That's why Starbucks was used to be small and now it's big. The exact same principle applies to the stock market as a whole. It's just that it's a lot harder to, under, to understand and analyze hundreds of companies uh, collectively than it is to analyze one uh, business. But in the United States, the most popular uh, common uh, stock uh, index uh, that we use to measure the health of our markets is called the S&P 500, the Standard & Poor's 500. It's 500 of America's largest and most profitable businesses. And if you look over long periods of time, uh, the S&P 500 just continually goes up. The fundamental reason for that is that the components, the 500 companies that make up the S&P 500, get more profitable each and every year. Not in a straight line, right? There's some big years it's up, some years that it's down, depending on what's going on in the economy. But if you look over the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 100 years, those businesses are far more profitable today collectively than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Ergo, that is why the stock market has continued to go up because the, the companies that make up the stock market indices have continued to become more valuable. Mm. Mm. That's a really interesting example. And I think sometimes people... Um, when they're investing and in our community can not see that and then they get stuck with whether it's from things their family have told them about investing or they've heard from the news and they just think okay well it has gone up for a period of time but what if it just all falls apart how do you help people who are potentially in that doomsday mindset about investing well, I would. I, I think that the people that have that fear, have that worry, are were literally exactly in the same position I was 20 years ago when I didn't understand what was going on. You know, uh, like like I can tell you, I'm I'm personally a nervous flyer. Right. When I get on a plane, it just it's not something that I really like uh, to do. Uh, however, what really helped me uh, to become less of a nervous flyer is to understand why does a plane go up in the sky and stay up there. Why does it, why does it, how does it, how does it do that? And once I understood things like gravity and Bernoulli's principles and Newton's laws of motion and the airfoil and wind resistance, um, it made me at least understand on a deep fundamental level. Okay. There are physics at play that keep this plane in the air. It's not just like magic when you sit on. So it just made me a lot more comfortable being on a plane. Once I kind of understood, or at least had a basic understanding of what keeps this plane in the air. And I really focus on that tremendously when the plane is hitting an air pocket and there's like turbulence uh, in the air. I truly think the stock market is the same is the same way. It's like stepping onto a plane and just being like, oh, this will work. Like it always works. Just just get on. Uh, but when the plane starts shaking, uh, if you're like me, you're like, what's going on? Somebody explain to me what is what is happening. 
That is 100% of the reason that I wrote my, uh, wrote my book. It was designed to give people the basic understanding of the factors that cause the stock market to rise over time and that cause there to be short-term uh, vol volatility. And once you, I think that once you really understand and embrace those, you can at least understand and, and have faith, true faith, that the stock market will eventually reach a bottom and then start to go on to new highs because you understand the fundamental growth drivers in place. Mm. Brian, in this, it's interesting, like the Starbucks example is, is a really good one. I, I think it was Tom and David Gardner from The Molly Fool that went on um, one of the talking shows and they, they recommended a Starbucks that fell uh, and then they came back and they got questioned, like, why did it fall? And then five years later, it was just, you know, streets ahead of where anyone thought it would be. So that's uh, a lesson in patience and I guess focusing on the long term. Here in Australia, Brian, exchange traded funds or ETFs are really popular. I know in amongst our community, um, very popular. Uh, do you have a view on, I guess, using exchange traded funds or index funds um, versus individual stocks? Uh, yeah, uh, I think exchange traded funds are wonderful. Um, I think index funds are are, are wonderful. They're they're a true gift uh, to investors. When people come up to me um, in in life and they want to talk to me about uh, investing, and they're, they're they're starting from ground zero, and they say, "What stock should I buy?" I say, "Index funds." I say, "Don't bother with individual stocks. Don't even try to don't even try to do it." Um, and that's not because I don't think they're smart enough to be able to understand a business and and figure out a business model and figure out financial statements. Everybody that I everybody is smart enough to to figure out how to do it. Uh, however, there's a big learning curve when it comes to going from 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 analy from just buying an index fund to jumping over into an individual uh, stock investor. And in my experience, 99% of people have no interest in going through the time and the inclination uh, to learn how to invest in stocks simply because it doesn't uh, interest you. And if that's you, that's that's perfectly fine. You don't have to know anything about analyzing an individual business to do well uh, in the markets. You can stick with broad-based diversified index funds and ETFs are one way that you can invest. And it really makes it super simple way uh, to get exposure uh, to the stock market. Now, however, if you are in that weird 1% of people <laughs> such as myself that literally enjoys researching businesses, literally enjoys learning about um, studying businesses and markets, um, I do think um, that you can do well for yourself by picking uh, individual stocks, but the huge caveat there is you have to be willing, ready, and able to do the research uh, necessary to learn how to do it the right way. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if I am interested in researching individual companies and I want to maybe better understand what a company's worth, but I'm not super familiar with fancy spreadsheets, where do I even start and what are some of the things I should have a look at? Uh, yeah, th there's a, there's a lot that you need to learn, kind of at the uh, at the at the outset. Uh, for me, I can tell you that there are some fantastic books out there that really helped me uh, to understand uh, investing. Uh, there's uh, two I, I will call out. Uh, these are my go-to books for a lot of people. Uh, one is called Warren Buffett and the Interpretation of Financial Statements. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a book by uh, Mary Buffett, who is 
Warren Buffett's former daughter-in-law. She used to be married to one of his sons. And she she got a front-hand view about how Warren Buffett thinks about business and investing and financial statements. And in that book, they literally take the three financial statements, the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. And she goes line by line through them and teaches you how Warren Buffett thinks about each of those uh, numbers. So if you want to learn how Warren hmm. thinks and how to think through business models through the eyes of um, uh, financial statements, wonderful, wonderful book for uh, for doing um uh, just that. Another book I'll throw out there that I really like is called The Little Book That Builds Wealth by Pat Dorsey. Uh, Pat Dorsey is the former head of research at Morningstar. And that book is all about understanding competitive advantage and how some businesses produce higher returns than others when studying their, their moat or their uh, competitive uh, advantage. And that, that both of those books are easy reads. They're easy to, to understand. So if you want to start learning how to pick uh, individual companies, those are two great starting points. I think that's great, Brian, because like it's such a the learning curve, particularly for new people, seems so steep. Um, for and it, and it is, um, but once you start to piece it together, you pull threads from different uh, like authors. In this case, people read your book. Um, I think a really good answer to that last question might have been read my book. <laughs> uh, but you're very generous, um, and you gave us two others, and one I haven't heard of there. Um, what are some of your biggest mistakes, Brian, when it comes to investing? And I guess if you can if you're willing to look back on them, um, what are some of the takeaways that you had in making those mistakes? I've made so many mistakes. I got plenty of lessons to teach on the mistakes that uh, that I've uh, that I've made. And I think that that in itself is a really important point for uh, for investors. It's every investor I know, even the greatest ones, have made tons of mistakes. They've bought terrible. They've bought terrible companies, sometimes with leverage, like sometimes borrowing money uh, to do so. And they just got they just lost out tremendously on uh, on investments. And um, that's just a part of learning how to become an investor. You shouldn't set out to make mistakes. Uh, you should still have a process. But you just have to understand that you're going to make uh, tons of mistakes um, going through. So let's tick through some of the ones that I've made. First off, first mistake I made when I was brand new to the market is I got started buying penny stocks, right? I couldn't tell you anything about their financial statements, their management team, their business models, their competitive advantage, their prospects, nothing. I, the only thing I could tell you was their stock price was below $5. End of research, right? That was my research process was, oh, I'll buy this dollar company because it'll go to $2. It only has to go up $1 and then I double my money, right? But Coca-Cola, that has to go up like $40 for me to, uh, to, me to double my money. Forget that. Uh, so I did terribly. Uh, in the beginning uh, because I was buying garbage and I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, that was mistake number one. Mistake number two, uh, after that fiasco, I started focusing on dividend stocks, right? The highest yielding dividend stocks that I could find. I was like, you know, I, I, here's a company, it's yielding dividend yields 15%. So I just got to buy this thing, not sell it. And I make 15%. This sounds great to me, right? Again, <laughs> zero research, zero knowledge, zero nothing. And understandably, I lost money because once again, I was buying horrible businesses. I just didn't realize it um, uh, at the time. After that, I kind of got slowly better about investing, about learning and getting my teeth kicked in a couple of uh, times. Um, but beyond that, the biggest mistakes that I've ever made with, with individual stock investing uh, all contain one word. And boy, is this a painful word to say. Uh, that word is sell. 
I have owned at various times in my life a company called Dexcom, uh, not a very well-known company. Uh, I bought Dexcom at $6 per share. Last I checked, it was over $500. I <laughs> sold it at $6. I sold Microsoft at $24. Last I checked, that stock was over uh, $300. I sold Activision Blizzard for $11. Last I checked, that stock was getting acquired at $87 uh, per share. So I've bought plenty of businesses that have gone down, right? Pl plenty of them. But my biggest investing mistakes on an individual stock level were always selling future mega winners way too early. And the, the lost upside from selling those mega winners uh, early, it dwarfs any potential losses that I took from holding bad companies for too long. Mm. I think that's, a that's, a, that's often missed, right? Because um, we often don't think more holistically about portfolios and um, how small winners, uh, small positions can turn into massive positions because they keep on winning. Um, Instead, we're very quick to sell. Uh, Kate, I don't know if you've got any more questions for Brian uh, this morning. Um, otherwise, we, we might give you a chance, Brian, to tell people where to get the book. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. the most important thing. Uh, I believe it is available now in Australia. Uh, yeah, so the book is available at all major uh, all major retailers, um, and uh, online um, is the one I know the best at Amazon, which is a mega mega seller of uh, of books. Uh, so yeah, that's what you that's where you could pick it up. And while it is focused primarily on the United States, the principles that are in the book are. are by far more important than just the, the numbers and charts and stuff that are in there. And the principles of what a stock is, how a stock market works, why they go up and down, why they go up over the long term are universally applicable on basically any market that you can uh, uh, think of. So uh, I still think there's value to it, even though it does primarily talk about the US markets. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And um, a lot of our listeners um, are fam most familiar with US companies. Um, and many of them invest internationally now. So it's a, it's a fantastic read. Uh, Brian, thank you for joining Kate and I on the show. We really appreciate it. Oh, and Kate, thanks so much for having me. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me on the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods. 
strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.